0: Support for WERU comes from Easterly Wine of Belfast, Maine, an independent enterprise that supports free speech, democracy, and independent media. The Times 401, and you are listening to WERU FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online at weru.org. And this is Maine Currents, independent local news, views, and culture. I'm Amy Brown. Today we're going to pick up where we left off last week with the candidates' forum in Belfast on January 21st. It was sponsored by local chapters of Indivisible and Maine All Care. They invited Democratic candidates who hoped to challenge Bruce Poliquin for the Congressional District 2 seat in November to come answer questions from the public. If you missed Part 1, it's available now on our archives at weru.org. Picking up now with a lightning round, the MC was Tracy Helboyna.
1: All right, lightning round. Ready? This is a yes-no, yes-no answer. Um, (laughs) Would you support impeaching Trump based on current information? Let's go with uh, Jonathan Fulford.
2: Uh, It would have to go through the right procedures, but I think there is enough right now that already has been put out there that um, I think impeachment could probably be brought. I mean, you don't just, like, pop it, but yeah. Right.
1: Uh, Craig Olson.
3: Right now, no, because I don't think the case has been made in, in the situation or in the court type of situation within the Congress that needs to be made.
1: Uh, Lucas St. Clair.
4: Also, I, the, the, the investigation needs to continue. I don't believe there's enough information at this point, and it ultimately takes a two-thirds vote of the Senate before anything can can move. So as a member of the House, I think the most important thing we can do is play a backstop to policy rather than focusing on impeachment. Uh, Jared Golden. No, not until the evidence is absolutely
5: bulletproof. We saw this at the state level. Uh, If House Democrats had voted to move to impeachment on the governor, we would have then seen uh, a a failed uh, court case that had already been filed against him. So I think you've got to have the evidence first.
6: And uh, finally, Tim Tim Rich. Rich. Yes. (laughs) Yes, and I think we have the evidence. Interesting. Okay.
1: All right, this next question is, again, posed to all five of you. It's a two-minute answer, and we're going to start with Tim Rich. It's about guns. Um, what does common-sense gun policy look like to you at the federal level?
6: Sure, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think we need to approach guns from a different perspective than we have been uh, as a party and and as a country. Um, you know, I, I think part of the trouble is, is we uh, – you know, we've really been our own worst enemy, right? Because every time we try to put forward a bill, uh, gun sales shoot through the roof. And I—that's not an intended pun, but—but um, but it's true. <laughs> uh, you know, and, it, and it's really concerning, right? Because there are a lot of folks out there who who are good people, and and who live in rural communities like ours, and who have a long tradition of of hunting, um, and and who. You know, you got to keep in mind in the last 25 years have seen any chance of upward mobility disappear. They've seen their community suffer. They've seen their kids get hooked on heroin. They've seen their entire way of life crumble. And, and you know, in some ways there's been social progress to come along with that. But but you have to understand that, you know, these are traditions that people have passed down from generations, and they're really important. Um, you know, and, and, they, and they really get it at people's heart. They're an emotional issue. So, you know, I, I think we need to find a way to rally around kind of common sense solutions. We can, we can you know, get rid of bump, stock, bump stocks entirely. We can you know, make sure that maybe if somebody's on the no-fly list, they shouldn't be able to buy a firearm. Um, but, I, but I think it's a really sort of difficult uh, place to, to go forward with, and we have to approach it very carefully going forward. All
1: right. So thank you. Same question to Jared Golden.
5: Thank you. So, uh, very familiar with guns. I can tell you as someone that served in the Marine Corps infantry, I understand guns, uh, and the importance of gun safety and responsible gun ownership. The Marines didn't allow you to own a gun, uh, in on the barracks, a personal weapon, all weapons that you had actually had to be checked into the armory. Um, and so I think. You know, that's something that a lot of people don't know. I I went three months in the military before they ever put a loaded weapon in my hand because they wanted to make sure that I was highly trained. So, number one, good smart policy ensures that people get the training that they need to be safe with their weapon. Um, Secondly, I support background checks. Uh, I'm never going to support any effort to undermine or repeal the background check system. We all know that we want to keep guns out of the hands of people who uh, are, are, you know, well, it's – Criminals, uh, potential terrorist actors, whoever it is that, that's why background checks are there that's good common sense policy. Um, you know at a higher level let's talk about the uh, kind of militarization of, of society and the way that we talk about warfare uh, in this country. We put it th- uh, forward in our video games, in our movies um, it's it's glorified, um, and you know that's probably driving a lot of, of our gun culture and our gun sales. So, um, you know, I think we all have to stop and ask ourselves, what's our role in that? And, uh, you know, it's a big for-profit industry. So, uh, bottom line, I do think it's important that Democrats make very clear that we don't want to take away people's guns. We want people to be able to you know, be responsible gun owners, go and hunt, uh, go to the shooting range and have fun. I mean, look, I'm not going to lie. Guns can be fun. But at the same time, um, we don't need people walking around with with the types of machine guns and and, and weaponry that I carried when I was in Afghanistan and Iraq.
1: Thank you. Same question for Lucas St. Clair. What does common sense gun policy look like to you?
4: Well, I learned how to shoot a gun from my grandfather. The first time I ever discharged a firearm was a twenty two rifle. My grandfather held my arms as I steadied it and shot it for the first time. And my father and I grew up, I grew up with my father hunting in in northern Maine, and it is a part of our heritage and I think sportsmen and the use of guns go hand in hand, but it, also a big part of the heritage of gun ownership in Maine is teaching that safety from grandfathers and fathers to sons and 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 grandmothers and granddaughters to to women um, <laughs> the um, right. The uh, my my twin sister didn't take to uh, shooting her, the, our 16 gauge shotgun the same way I did, um, but the, those it's it's incredibly uh, a, a part of our our history and our heritage and culture is teaching that safety. Uh, when I was in when I was eight years old, I took a hunter safety course at Setamocha Junior High School in Guilford, Maine. That's where I learned uh, to to. The safety of, of of firearms, and I think that we should make very sh- certain that, that people when they use own, and operate firearms that they 're taking those safety courses. I think background checks are absolutely uh, necessary, and I supported background checks um, the referendum in in Maine that narrowly lost, and I will continue to do that and so I think that uh, I also, I also agree with the culture of guns in the United States has been glorified, and, I, and we, we need to make sure that weapons are thought of as, as a tool and a tool that can be very dangerous and that the training and, and the background checks go into place before anyone owns or operates a firearm.
1: Thank you. Same question to Jonathan Fulford. Sorry, I switched it up a little bit.
2: Good. Uh, so uh, I support background checks. And I support a, a, a continuing a ban or, on bump st- or having a ban on bump stocks and silencers. I think that uh, I have guns. All my kids have guns. Now one of my grandchildren have guns, has a gun. We hunt. Um, and Some of us enjoy shooting. I think using them as a tool as a farmer has also been a, good, a big part of our family. Um, so I see the value of guns, but I also see also the importance of making sure they're in responsible hands. There are people I know very well who would not qualify with a background check because of the things that they've done in their life, and I do not want them to have guns in their hands. You know, Background checks are an important part of keeping our, our society safe. So, and, I, and I guess I'd also say that <clears> – <throat> so every time you know, the people are afraid of losing their guns, they buy more. Um, I think that's a sign of also the divisiveness, which our culture is kind of like – is happening, and the level of fear which people carry. And I think as we don't see, I think no matter where we are in the political spectrum right now, I think the future does not look hopeful. And that leads to greater fear, and one of the responses of fear is, I'm going to try to protect myself and my family better. And I think if we start looking at a, creating a more inclusive and hopeful future, I think that might also be, in an indirect way, address a lot of the other problems. So. Yes, Craig Olson,
1: you're the last one to answer this question. Buggins. Thank you.
3: I, I grew up hunting with my father. I grew up in, on on a farm, and hunting was just part of the fabric of the community. It was part of the fabric of our family. Still is. I don't hunt now. Um, we don't have guns in our house in Islesboro, and it's just you know we we don't we don't hunt in Islesboro with guns. It's not allowed by the state, um, but. About five or six years ago, I took all of our daughters. We have three daughters, and they were 9, 11, and 13. And I took them through the hunter safety course, and I went through it with them with the sporting club on Islesboro because they go to houses with friends who have guns. And I wanted them to know what was appropriate, what you did if, you, if there's a gun in the house, if somebody picked up a gun who shouldn't be picking up a gun. Um, and they went through it, and it was, it was a great experience for us. Um, we still, we don't have guns in the house, but it's part of There's a hunting eth- ethos in Maine, just like where I grew up. When I grew up in Wisconsin, it was the same. It was hunting. Um, what we've seen in this society is is this um, really the kind of the spoon-feeding of the protection Mantra from the NRA, and I find that just reprehensible. The way that it is done, and the, the the material that they push out, and the fact that they're creating this culture of fear that behind every tree is someone waiting to get you. And so, what they're really doing, the real thing about the NRA, it's not so much that they're advocating for hunters. I don't believe, or they're advocating for sporting people, or people who are shooting trap, but they're advocating for the gun lobby, the gun manufacturers, to sell more guns. It has nothing to do with personal protection. The scary thing, too, about last fall I went to the Bangor Gun Show, and I hadn't been to a gun show in 20 years. I'd gone with my father about 20 years ago. What really chilled me was the fact that you could buy silencers. And then this past year there was a bill. I think it was H.R. 387 or 1387, and it was the Hearing Protection Act. And it was the gun, it was the bill to allow the universal sale of silencers in all 50 states. And that's reprehensible. There is no reason we need that. We do not need bump stocks. Uh, We just, you know, the NRA has gone well too far.
1: Thank you. All right. We're going to turn our attention to a different topic now. This question is also for all five of you. It's a two-minute answer. Um, And it's about um, essentially reproductive rights would you call yourself a feminist? And what does your answer mean for your stance on reproductive rights? And we're going to start at the end of the table with Mr. St. Clair and just work our way down.
4: I would call myself a feminist. I um, have a a lot of very powerful female figures in my family, and um, they have taught me a lot about what it's like to um, be captains of industry to support um, the, a, a matriarch as a head of household, and um, the rights that um, the the rights that have been held back from women over the course of history have been a huge challenge and uh, created so many different types of of uh, of issues from. Uh, economic to uh, family isolation uh, and, and and on and on, I, I spent um, Thursday morning with Eliza Townsend at the um, w- uh, the maine women 's lobby and the women 's policy center and and to hear her speak about uh, single women that are raising uh, raising children in Maine and the obstacles around child care access to public transportation, being able to get to the workplace, the uh, lack of equal pay, uh, and the, and lack of health care, and then the fact on top of all of that that their health care choices are being limited by old white men in Congress is a deplorable thing to consider. And um, my... My wife's family have, has worked in the, the medical field for their entire lives. My mother-in-law who lives with us now uh, is was a, mer- a nurse midwife, and I know the challenges that are faced um, for, for women and access to reproductive rights, uh, reproductive health, and, and general health. And to the fact that um, religious ideology is dictating whether or not women have access to health care is, is a terrible thing, and I, I absolutely support um, equality for, for women in this country.
0: You're listening to Maine Carnes on WERU-FM. This candidate's forum was held in Belfast on January 21st. The remaining four candidates who are about to respond to the question about whether they consider themselves to be feminists and their support for reproductive rights uh, did not identify themselves before they answered this next question. So I wanted to break in to give you the sequence. That was Lucas St. Clair that you just heard from. Up next is going to be... Uh, Tim Rich, followed by Craig Olson, Jared Golden, and then Jonathan Fulford will speak last.
6: I have a feeling there's probably not going to be too much disagreement with all of us in this question. Um, I I very much do consider myself a feminist. You know, uh, before I ever worked in politics or owned a cafe, before I I ever wanted to work in politics or owned a cafe, um, I, I had trained to be a novelist at one point. And so, a lot of the way that I approach the world has been through works of literature, um, and I read a lot of kind of early French feminism, um, Simone de Beauvoir and what have you, and and um, Erica Jong in the '70s, uh, *The Fear of Flying*, and and I, I I think a lot about, you know, what women have really been through in this country and how horrible it's been, and it impacts me really personally. I have I have two quick stories about uh, about my family. I have a, a family member. Um, who unfortunately was uh, was raped at 12 years old and and didn't feel comfortable coming out and being honest about it until they were well into their 60s because the person who did it threatened to come and kill them. Um, I also have, I have an aunt who uh, was in the Army and became pregnant back in the early 70s. And my grandfather, we come from a, a very conservative French Catholic family, um, sent her to a home for unwed mothers under an assumed name. And, and that's a member of our family who we haven't met to this day. Uh, and we've, we've tried to find. So, you know, I think we need, we need to move a lot of things forward. I think the ERA needs to pass. I think it's been way too long. Um, I think that pay equity needs to be something we focus on with a laser beam. Um, and I think that in a world where Viagra is covered by insurance, why the heck isn't birth control? Thank you.
3: Again, I think we're all in agreement. Um, I uh, am married to a woman who was, who was uh, raised by, by, raised she and her sister uh, who was widowed during the Vietnam War. Raised these kids. Uh, went off, one went off to Pomona College, one went to Stanford, one's a surgeon, uh, the other one's a museum professional. Uh, we have three daughters in our home. Um, I, I would never say that I'm a feminist. I would let them tell you if I was a feminist. Now we've raised our kids, we've raised our daughters to, to realize that they have every opportunity that any male, boy, whatever out there has, and to do what is right for them, and to not do something that would make them appealing or make them, make them you, know, make somebody else like them or, or, or accept them. Um, it's amazing. Um, I have one brother. And I have a very large extended family, but um, when when we were, when my wife was pregnant with our third daughter, somebody said, "Oh, don't you want a boy? Don't you want a boy?" And I said, "Honestly, I wouldn't know what to do with them. <laughs> Plus, we have all the clothes." So, um, you know, raising living in a house with three, four women is fabulous. It's been a great life uh, so far, and um, you know, and coming from a very matriarchal family that my wife comes from, it's unbelievable. And I also live in a community if it, like some of these communities, people think, and it's kind of like men think they run things. <laughs> they don't. You know, in our community, they don't. And I think that the key is, is that we have to make sure that everybody is paid equally for what they do. Um, whether you're a movie star and you get $1.5 million and your Coast Guard gets $1,000 to reshoot some scenes, or whether you're working at the Island Market or whether you're working at Dairy Queen, everybody needs equal pay for equal
5: work. Thank you. Um, You know, I think I will uh, follow Craig's lead a little bit in saying that I I don't know that I would uh, go ahead and and call myself a a feminist because something that is very important to me uh, that I've learned – in leadership both in my military experiences but also in the Maine state legislatures knowing when to lead and when to let others lead and when it comes to everything going on in this country today with the women's movement things like the women's march yesterday I know that it's not my time to lead it's my time to support um, someone just asked me today whether or not I spoke yesterday at the women's march in Augusta and I was very happy to report no I did not because there were so many strong incredible women leaders that, that did so uh, and, and, and they, they, they did an amazing job Um, I am 100% behind gender equality. Every vote I've ever taken in the legislature relevant to that and across the board all issues represents that uh, I think quite clearly. the Speaker of the House, Sarah Gideon, is an amazingly strong leader in this state. The majority leader, Aaron Herbig, is an amazingly strong leader in this state, and I feel very comfortable in my role as the assistant majority leader behind those two, letting them do the good, hard work that they're capable of doing, and they're doing an astoundingly good job. Uh, my role is, is to support the caucus and, and make sure everyone can be successful and to support them as, as leaders. So um, certainly I have I have no problem with, with accepting the, the strength of women leaders in, in this state in regards to reproductive rights. I'm a hundred percent pro-choice, uh, family planning services, access to all of that. There's no budge. I'm not going to give an inch on it. Uh, it's, it's very clearly your choice.
2: Um, <clears throat> yes, I consider myself a feminist cause I, I consider feminism the, uh, acknowledging and supporting the power of women as leaders and as as people so yes that makes sense of course i'd support that and i would consider myself on board um reproductive rights I, i support completely uh women's right to their body at all parts of the reproductive including birth and uh as well as you know contraception and birth control um and abortions and um i would say that yeah i think One of the agreements I made was that I think there it's interesting that there is five men running for the seat and no women. And that in and that is unfortunate. And that I have made a commitment as a person seeking public office that if I am ever running for a public position where there is a qualified woman who is progressive and has a shot as a solid shot at winning, I will step aside. Because Because I believe that too often women have been conditioned to do that automatically and that that is something that I don't even notice, that privilege which I carry all the time.
1: Thank you. All right. I'm going to try to wrap it up now. I have two more questions. I would really love to hear from all five of you on these two questions. For the sake of time... I'm going to make these 30-second answers. I think each of them certainly easily could be two-minute answers. <laughs> Frankly, they could be much longer than that. But because we're running up a little bit against the clock, I'm going to have to make them 30-second answers, okay? So the first one is um, the following. It's about um, rights for our LGBTQ. Um, community. Um, I would like to hear about your uh, position um, on their status in society and what you would do to protect this vulnerable community. Let's start with Craig Olson in the middle.
3: Thank you. I believe everybody should have the right to live however they want to live with however they want to identify and that identification needs to be upheld very basic. I have a daughter who's at school um, in her college, and different colleges are dealing with different ways of how they deal with it. And her college says, however that person identifies when they come into their college, if they identify as a woman, we will admit that. No question, that's it. If that's how you identify, she goes to a women's college. Um, so if that's how you identify, that's what it is, and we have to have protections.
1: Let's go to Jonathan Fulford next, please.
2: Yeah, I think that um, that anyone with the LGBTQ community needs to be recognized as having full rights as any other group of people or any other um, and that any discrimination in any way should be um, uh, fought, and that full rights should be fought for on a federal level. so:
5: Yep, Mr. Golden full equal access to full equality full access to justice uh, economic justice healthcare justice all you know justice before the law for all people all citizens of the United States is what i support and that that certainly includes our lgbtq community i'll do i'll do whatever i got to do to make sure everyone has has equal access
1: thank you let's go to mr
5: rich next
6: yeah. um, might not be quick i agree with everything everyone said um, it's been a long time since Stonewall. It's time to stop playing politics with this stuff and actually make it subtle policy. So, yeah.
4: I agree. I agree. LGBTQ rights are human rights. I believe that uh, they, there, there should be equality in the workplace. There should be equality to uh, access to health care. There should be access and, and um, equality when it becomes decisions around uh, marriage and the family unit. And I think any discrimination should be punishable.
1: Thank you. All right. So our final question also is a 30-second question. It's... Um, for all of you, um, and we'll start down on the end with uh, Mr. St. Clair, and then just work our way down the table. And the question is: What do you believe should be the highest priorities in developing economic opportunities for the citizens of Maine?
4: I think that's a very difficult answer to a uh, question to answer in thirty seconds. Um, but I, uh, and it has been something that's been been worked on um, in in many parts of the state for several decades uh, i think access to uh education affordable education should be a start we should be able to find ways to attract young people embrace an immigration uh an immigrant population and new mainers that are coming here we should create communities that uh, allow for people to be able to celebrate uh, whatever type of work they want to do uh, and i think infrastructure is going to be a, play a huge role into it, including transportation rail and broadband
6: Yeah, I agree with Lucas on, on everything there. This is um, Tim Rich. The, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it, we need to take a real look at what our natural resources are. You know, we have a lot of wood and a lot of water. And what can we do with stuff like that? Um, I don't know uh, if anybody else has over, have, has been over to see Habib yet. I think you have, right? Um, there's an advanced manufacturing center up at the University of Maine, Orono. Um, it's, it's run by this amazing engineer. Uh, who has been working to build sort of next-generation stuff for a long time, whether that be clustered wind farms or now they're finding a way to, to break down wood and to, uh, and to reformulate it into things like a recyclable car body. You know, really interesting stuff that's going on in Maine. We need to keep it in Maine.
3: Affordable health care, a living wage, infrastructure, and a big portion of that is broadband.
0: That was Craig Olson. Broadband.
5: Uh, I want to start with something Very I care colden. about and want to see done at a federal level, which is universal head start, uh, making sure that every child gets gets that start and a good education, fair living wages. We're working on that. We would get to $12 an hour, but that's not good enough universal access to health care and finally i think making a commitment to get back to those good new deal principles that help create the middle class you should if you work hard all your life be able to retire we need to get back to focusing on pension systems and other retirement uh, programs and if that means fighting to strengthen unions to make sure that we're bargaining for those types of rights all of these rights i just named then that's what i'm committed to
2: I like what I'm hearing. This is Jonathan um, Fulford. <coughs> um, uh, if I don't win, I'm really glad that this is you know, what we've got going. Um, so I think I've already said climate change and dealing with that because it's a problem we have to face, and it will be an economic engine. Um, universal single-payer health care is a small business owner. I know that that is devastating for both employees that can't afford it and small business trying to start and run. Um, a fair taxation system where actually the wealthy pay their fair share, so it's not on the burdens of everyone else and all the towns and the state. Um, Uh, Broadband has been mentioned, and I guess I'm out of time. (laughs)
1: Thank you so much. Um, I would like to give a big round of applause.
0: This uh, candidates' forum was held in Belfast on January 21st. It was sponsored by Area Indivisible and Maine All Care Groups and featured Democrats who hope to be that party's nominee to face off against Bruce Poliquin in November. If you missed part one, you can hear that now on the WERU archives. WERU.org. Just go to the main currents category. It aired last week. Our second segment today, unfortunately, is going to have to be postponed due to the bad driving conditions out there. Our guests decided to smartly play it safe and not come into the studio. So we will reschedule that talk for another date and we're going to end main currents here today. We'll have a edition of Sprouts coming up next. You've been listening to Main Currents, independent local news, views, and culture. I'm Amy Brown. You can join us here every Tuesday at 4 o'clock on Community Radio, WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org.